This is a podcast about the hardcore community. Made by and for those who live authentic lives and embrace hard truths. We archive the stories of the bands and people who make this lifestyle possible. I'm Josh Lyon. And I'm Greg Benoit. And this is the Hardcore Archive Podcast. All right, I feel like I should, uh, like I warned everybody with the Andy Williams episode a couple episodes back. If you guys happen to see this uh, title and are looking for conspiracy theories and whatnot, uh, you're on the wrong episode of our podcast. Uh, but our, our guest tonight will have uh, some other cool stuff to talk about. He's been doing lots of traveling with his band lately. We'll be talking about Rochester and all sorts of other cool shit. Uh, we're going to be talking with Alex Jones from Undeath. So how's everything going for you tonight, Alex? Uh, pretty good, man. How, how about you? Good, good. Uh, like I was saying before we recorded, I apologize for the, my, the delay on my end. Uh, it's a never-ending battle with uh, getting the kids to sleep, as uh, Greg knows. All good, man. I got I have jack shit going on tonight, so I'm chilling. And what about you? What do you got going on tonight, Greg? Uh, no, I'm just hanging out waiting for you to get your kids to sleep, man. Uh, <laughs> but last night I was up till 3 a.m. with my youngest because that was when he decided to finally go to sleep. So I get it. It's a good thing we didn't do this last night. Otherwise, it would have been like early morning interview. We could have done it at like Denny's and had uh, had a breakfast or something. Yeah, man, shit. 3 a.m. is definitely... We haven't hit that mark yet, so I guess we're lucky there. Um, but yeah, we're not, not we won't. I guess we won't be talking about kids too much tonight, though, right, Alex? <laughs> no, no, no kids over here, at least not that I'm aware of. Uh, so yeah, like I said in the intro, you've been doing lots of crazy shit with Undeath. I'm, de- I'm sure we want to talk a lot about that. But uh, being that we're based out of Rochester, you got a lot of cool uh, Rochester history too. So. Uh, maybe we'll start with your upbringing. I know you're not originally from Rochester, but just like how you got here and all that kind of shit, and like what kind of led you led you to uh, like underground music, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I'm not originally from Rochester. I lived there for, geez, I mean, we we moved to Rochester when I was probably like 13, 14, something like that, and then I lived there until about three and a half weeks ago uh so i'm 28 now so live there for about 15 ish years which is crazy but uh yeah i mean uh upbringing grew up downstate grew up in uh just kind of bounce around the you know hudson valley ish uh new york city suburbs ish area spent a lot of time in of my early childhood and White Plains, Westchester County, you know, uh, Peekskill, Dobbs Ferry, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I was I was a child back then, so I, not a lot of, like, significant memories from that time, just kind of, like, doing kid stuff. And then my dad had the opportunity to work from home for his job in the city. So he in, he's from upstate Western New York area. His family's from, like, Potsdam, Horseheads, Elmira, that region. Uh, and he, his parents are getting older, and he took that as an opportunity to go and be closer to his parents. So we packed up, we moved up to Rochester, because uh, that's also where his sister, my aunt, lives. Uh, and lived there for, yeah, like I said, 15-ish years. And I feel like that's kind of where most of my upbringing really was, as far as, you know, kind of learning who I was as, as a person, learning what kind of shit I was into what kind of shit I wasn't into uh all that kind of really crystallized 
in the, you know, in my time in Rochester for sure. And a lot of that, a lot of like my developing uh, as far as like coming up with who I wanted to be as a person, how I wanted to carry myself, the kind of things I wanted to champion and, and be, uh, uh, be interested in that all came from underground music for sure. And that was something that I discovered in Rochester from going to shows, being introduced to stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of, kind of where it all began was in Rochester for sure. Uh, if you don't mind my asking, it sounds like you're saying you, you've, you've recently uh, moved out of Rochester too, though. Yes, extremely recently. Uh, it seemed for, for a good while that I was never going to move, which I was fine with, but, uh, uh, life happens. And, uh, now I, I live in an undisclosed location in central New York. Right on. Um, so let's kind of, I mean, Greg, if you want to jump in too, but, uh, from my, uh, standing, I'd say, let's kind of jump into like the Rochester scene a little bit and like your introduction to all that, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um. So let's see. My introduction to the Rochester scene was when I was in high school, moved to Rochester when I was in eighth grade. Eighth grade wasn't really like, wasn't really going to shows. I think I was still just a little too young. Also, I didn't really like know that shows were happening or anything like that. At that point in my life, when I was, you know, 12 years old, like 11, 12, the only shows that I was aware of were like concerts. You know, so I had been to uh, I had seen Blondie at Jones Beach in Long Island on Long Island. Excuse me. Uh, I had uh, seen like Real Big Fish and Streetlight Manifesto in the city, like lots of ska shows, stuff like that. But nothing even relatively close to what you and I would consider like a show, you know. Uh, so I didn't I wasn't really aware that that was a thing until I got to high school. And at that point, I was into hardcore i was into punk i mean i was into punk first and then hardcore and that was that was the big thing was uh growing up in the house not to backtrack too much but you know my dad had records my dad's like a pretty avid music listener and so was my mom too i know my mom gets mad when i don't shout out her music taste as well because <laughs> I, I spend so much time talking about my dad's because ours is similar uh, or more similar i should say but both my parents are pretty avid music enjoyers music heads uh, you know, but my dad had like the clash, he had, uh, sex pistols, he had Elvis Costello, he had like all of the seminal punk and new wave stuff that you could pretty much think of if you were to give somebody like a punk rock starter pack, like it would be all those albums. So that was like my introduction to that whole world of music when I was a kid. Uh, it was that and like the school of rock soundtrack because it had the Ramones on it. Uh, and that was the first time I ever heard the Ramones, which I'm sure is crazy to a lot of people, but uh, it's true. Uh, that's my truth. Um, so, yeah, I was into punk and through that, you know, you having like limited access to the Internet, you kind of just like you spend enough time Googling punk and punk bands and punk albums. Eventually you come across like Black Flag, Minor Threat, Dead Kennedys, etc. So I had like a cursory understanding of what this kind of world and what this music was wasn't so much into metal yet at that point but when i got to high school i digressed uh this dude rory uh who kind of fell out of touch with haven't talked to him in a while i saw him at a show uh at monty's slash rosen crown uh like a year and a half ago uh but he 
that was kind of the last time I saw him, but he was in a hardcore band in Rochester. He was in a straight edge band called Declarations. I don't know if you remember that band. Um, but he played bass in that band. And, you know, he saw me walking around school one day with like a black flag shirt or something. And he, you know, he's got to talking about punk and hardcore and stuff. Cause I mean, you know how it goes. Like you see somebody wearing the uniform, right. And you don't know them. You kind of want to instantly figure out like what their deal is. Like who is this person who has the same esoteric interests as me? So we were just like picking each other's brains a little bit and, uh he asked me what kind of shit i was into i told him i was into like you know black flag minor threat fugazi etc and he's like oh i actually play in a band like i'm gonna bring you our demo cd tomorrow and i said great and he did and i thought it was awesome you know i i had never really heard of of straight edge before besides like like outside of the minor threat context i had never heard of like youth crew or anything like that so you know it was cool to me it was it was like a whole new world which kind of opened up to me and you know, at that time, bands like uh, like Foundation were really big. Um, there, uh, and then locally speaking, there was a band called Fort Tongues that was really big, uh, at least like in Rochester. And he kind of turned me on to that kind of stuff. And then he asked me if I wanted to go to a show, and it was Death Before Dishonor. Uh, I, I'm not sure if Declarations played that one, but it was like Death Before Dishonor and a couple other bands. I think Fort Tongues definitely played that show at the Dublin underground and he picked me up from work one day and we went to that show and he was still in his Brugger's bagels uniform. I remember that he picked me up at my parents' house in his Volvo. And, uh, it was, that was a life-changing experience for sure. Like that being my first hardcore show. And it just kind of like, I mean, you know, Greg, like it just kind of going down the way that it did. It was kind of just a crazy experience. You know, it, it's funny. Cause I told you about that show uh, before we did the interview, and so I got a funny uh, story about that too. But I, 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 uh, I had actually been working for Brugger's years prior, like early two thousands, and then when I came back from Colorado, I needed a job. So my buddy Ryan was like, "Long story short, he got me working back at Brugger's, and I had met that kid Rory a few times. And one day, he just he didn't work at that specific store, but sometimes you would get like people coming and going from other stores, and he came in there one day and worked, and I was like, "Holy shit, dude!" Like, and we ended up talking or whatever, and I'm. You know, so, uh, but that was, he was in death camp too around that time too, right? Yep. Yeah, he definitely was. Yeah. And that show, see, I don't know who all the bands that played were. I'm, I think the show you're talking about, because I heard you talking about the show on another podcast too, was Death Before Dishonor, Death Threat. I want to say maybe Dawn of War played too. Uh, I think, I think Dawn of War played. I, I think that Death Threat didn't though, because I think it was like, it was like a Death Before Dishonor, Death Threat co-headliner kind of thing. And they were touring on their way to some fest. And it was like they played Rochester and then they had a day off. And then the next day was the fest. I think it was the New England Metal and Hardcore Fest in, in oh, that, uh, Worcester. Yeah, that sounds right. Because that was April of whatever year. Yeah. Late 2000s. And I remember you talking on that podcast about how there was like a little scuffle. And I had told you. Uh, that there's some 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 mischief with weed and me involved in that too because I left the show for a little while because um, I was I was pretty heavily involved with that at the time and and uh, things were a little bit different than they are now obviously where there weren't shops and stuff around you know so I'm sure. coming back with like a bunch on me and shit and I'm already nervous about it you know what I mean and then I get back to the show and I see like mad cop cars outside and shit I'm like yo what the fuck like what the hell happened and i go inside and i hear there's like a fight and i just start like getting mad because i got all this shit and i want to get arrested so i like yelled at somebody like yo what the fuck like 
why is this going on here? Like, get, like to get them to stop this shit. And I think it actually was one of the dudes from Dawn of War that had gotten in the, in the mix with that somehow. Like, I don't know if it was, I'm not going to name any other names, obviously, because I think it might have been, you know, this or that or whatever. But that was, that was like, so you got involved in hardcore basically, though, like around the tail end of kind of like a, uh, a crazy era like that though where there was like kind of like fights and like the the face tattoo people started showing up and shit you know what i mean like so how was it oh, for yeah. you how was it for you like experiencing all that for the first time like as like a scene or a culture or whatever you know what i mean uh it was crazy i mean you know like my only perception of like how crazy hardcore and like hardcore shows could get was all from like books and and videos i had seen and stuff you know like i had the uh the American hardcore book I had seen like the American hardcore documentary those were like two of my big touchstones for just like what that world was like but kind of seeing the chaos unfold in front of you in person was a completely different experience and I, I would like to say I would like to be responsible and say that uh, I hated it and it turned me off of hardcore and I never went to another hardcore show again for as long as I live but it was intoxicating bro like I I was like you know, a, a little kid from the suburbs. And uh, in a lot of ways, like, I, I still kind of feel that way, you know, like I uh, didn't grow up really around a lot of chaos and violence. So just kind of being thrown into a situation like that, which was completely unlike anything I had ever experienced before was, was something that I just like, was immediately drawn to. And I just wanted to experience it as soon as possible again. Um so kind of like from that point on, I just wanted to go to as many hardcore shows as I could. And I did, you know, I went to like those next couple summers, like I would get picked up by whoever would give me a ride and we would go to Dublin. We would go to the Flying Squirrel. We would go to, uh, I don't think I could get into the Bug Jar at that point. Uh, but yeah, it was mostly like, it was a lot of Flying Squirrel shows. I remember like walking up and down that fucking Barbie staircase over and over again. It felt like every weekend. Um Bands from Syracuse would come up, like Forfeit or whatever, and, you know, there would always be fights. Like, it was just, it was ridiculous. But I loved it, and I loved the music. I thought it was great, and uh, I I was definitely very, very drawn to it for a while. But I also knew that, you know, I was never, like, a tough guy. I was never, like, a, a person who liked to instigate fights and shit like that. So I knew that as much as I enjoyed the music and as much as uh, uh, I had a good time going to the shows i couldn't really like relate to the the unity aspect of it if that makes sense like i kind of i always kind of felt like a perpetual outsider even when i when i had friends who who took me to shows all the time and i mean there were people around here in that era i mean you already mentioned fork tongues like obviously chris pogue and, and jared uh johnson like those are people that aren't going to be like you know, like the, the the violent culture, you know, those are probably people I'm imagining you probably more gravitated to towards people like that when you got interested in the scene and stuff like that then. For sure. Yeah. Jared, uh, Jared and Chris, uh, it's funny that you bring both of them up. They were like two of my earliest friends uh, that I made like strictly through going to shows um, because of the way it kind of was. I mean, I don't want to draw too binary of a picture, but sometimes it kind of felt as a kid like uh you could be one of two things you know like in hardcore you could be the like baggy pants gang affiliated like may or may not be packing like tough guy or you could be the drain pipe skinny jeans low-rise black vans afi t-shirt like emo hardcore guy and 
I, obviously that's like a totally unfair comparison. Like there's, there's tons of shades of nuance and in, in the kind of people that go to hardcore shows, but being 14, 15 years old, that's definitely what it felt like sometimes. And I never really felt like I totally belonged to either one of those groups, but I definitely gravitated way more toward like the emo side of things. Cause that was a, that was more of like what I was comfortable with. I wasn't comfortable with like pretending to be something I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable trying to be like a tough guy. Like I, I knew I was a, I knew I was a pretty like introverted, uh, like sensitive person, you know? <laughs> especially back then. Uh, so yeah, Jared, uh, we definitely shared a lot of the same like mutual bands and stuff. Definitely shared a lot of the same uh, like attitudes and values towards things. And Chris Pogue, Joel Thompson, like all those people. Joel especially. I mean, we we eventually started Drews together, but Joel really uh, took me under his wing uh, because I think I met him through Four Tongues, through seeing Four Tongues all the time, and him and I just like got to talking, and he I kind of had like a a mentor figure in him almost, which was great for the next bunch of years, because I think I really needed that, especially like navigating the, the weird world of, you know, social clicks and stuff like that. Yeah, Greg, I think that uh, a lot of the stuff that Alex is saying about like the, the different uh, subsets and subcultures of hardcore kids is pretty similar to when we were coming up in the late nineties. Yeah. You, you definitely had like, you know, a number of bands in like late nineties, early two thousands, where it was like people who primarily listened to like the more emo indie rock, um, you know, side of things, but they were like playing heavier stuff. Um, and you know, I can like, I have a better respect for like the more emo side of things. Um, you know, the more indie rock style bands, I was always on the, like, definitely not a tough guy, but my, the needle kind of like tipped for me closer to like, you know, the baggy pants, straight edge, earth crisis influenced uh, uh, side of things. Um, I just wanted to circle back because you mentioned like discovering the Ramones through School of Rock um, and like, oh, that's so like lame. But the way I got into hardcore, like the first legit hardcore band I listened to, um, like I listened to like Green Day and Offspring and, you know, Blink-182 and stuff that was popular when I was like in middle school in the 90s. Um, but the first legit hardcore band I got into was Sick of It All, and I found them on Beavis and Butthead. I don't know if you've like gone back and watched any of those. I don't know if that's like before your time, but they always used to parody music videos, or they'd like watch a music video and kind of riff on it, like Mystery Science Theater three thousand style. And they had uh, Sick <laughs> of It All step down, um, and that's I don't know if you've seen that video, but it's you know, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like they have, they, they it's kind of like basically the perfect primer to get someone into hardcore because they've got all the different like styles of dance moves and you know they like show you basically how to do every kind of dance move you would see in a pit um, but then of course like beavis and butthead interspliced it with like you know like the wedgie pick and like all sorts of other crash shit but if it were like not for beavis and butthead i don't know that i like would have found hardcore and then like you know you like grow uh you know like growing up and mm -hmm. You know, playing in bands and stuff, I like met people who discovered hardcore through like that Adult Swim cartoon, Metalocalypse. Like that was like they never listened to a fucking thing of metal until like Metalocalypse comes on and they're like, oh, I can get down with this. And, you know, I always kind of like appreciate people who find uh, find it through that way. I've also met a lot of people who um, like uh, like Tony Hawk, Pro Skater, like that was like 
you know, like the soundtrack to, you know, like they're like teenage years or something, but there's like some legit punk bands on there. And I think there's even some hardcore bands on some of the, the later ones too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I like, uh, I was a huge Green Day head forever and I still am. I mean, like, I don't listen to them nearly as often as I used to, but like they, they were a, a massively important band in my life for sure like dookie and nimrod and american idiot like all those records i loved them i went to american idiot went to barnes and noble with my mom the day that album came out to buy it on cd like i was i was a green day fanatic and they definitely like i think i knew even back then like when i was a kid and i was really into them that it wasn't necessarily like uh acceptable in the world of hardcore to to like green day it was something you were supposed to kind of grow out of, but I always had a, a healthy appreciation for them. I, I mean, they just wrote fucking great songs and I, I, to this day will still ride for that band. Um, but I remember when I was getting into like going to hardcore shows and getting involved in hardcore, that was really when like the death wish scene was really big. It, it was almost like you had, uh, like they weren't warring factions or anything like that because all these bands toured together, but it was like you had death wish bands and you had bridge nine bands. Right. And it, it, it always kind of seemed like they fulfilled different roles. It was like the bridge nine bands, like they kind of got emo a little bit. Like they got a little mysterious sometimes. Like I think dead swans was a bridge nine band. Uh, they had like, they like they had, bands that were kind of in that lane but it was mostly it was a lot of straight edge stuff it was a lot of like boston hardcore it was a lot of like slightly more tougher bands and i, I liked that shit but i was really into the death wish bands like i was really into converge i was really into uh modern life is war um blacklisted the carrier like all that stuff and i know like kids kind of turn their nose up at that whole era of hardcore these days because uh like like uh well no the feeder was the bridge nine band but like all that kind of stuff people just kind of had this uh <laughs> like almost histrionic reaction to it like uh you would look at the comments on a video of modern life is war playing and all of them were people being like this is the greatest song that any human being has ever recorded in the history of mankind like i will die for this band and i think a lot of kids kind of think that's ridiculous these days but Man, like when I was 15 and I heard Dead Ramones, the Modern Life is War song, I was just like, yeah, like this band is perfect. And I was feeling a lot of those feelings, too. So that shit was real. It felt extremely real and, and vital back then, for sure. And I, I loved all those bands. Yeah, I know Modern Life is War is very influential for like a lot of people that were kind of coming up around the time uh, I was. And that kind of like captures, um, you know, that band kind of captures like a. Uh, a particular sound that like you can you know sometimes hear a little bit in like achilles and uh some of the bands of, of that era from rochester totally i i totally get what you mean about people uh saying that they're like you know they're basically crying for modern life was war back then though it was crazy like we booked we booked them on that last tour and, and i think they had kind of started to fade out a little bit but like more the era greg's talking about like around like 2004 2005 it seemed like people were just going nuts over that band you know um but you were talking about like like bigger bands like green day and shit like that like when did you like kind of realize that you would want to start playing in bands eventually like was it hearing bands like that or was it more when you got like more involved in like the hands-on like diy type stuff you know i kind of want to say like 
from the moment I was obsessively listening to guitar bands, like that was kind of like from, from the jump, I wanted to be in a band myself, you know, like it was, it, it truly was like a one-to-one thing forever because, you know, I, I never really had, and it kind of speaks to like my own egotism, I guess, but I never really had a moment where I was listening to a band and I was like, oh, I can't do this. You know, it, it was just like, I, I would listen to Green Day and I would listen to The Offspring and I would listen to uh, like Less Than Jake and stuff. And I would be like, why am I not doing this? Like, why am I not in a band myself? Like, I need to find like-minded people and start playing music as soon as possible. And it just never really coalesced for for a very long time. I mean, I, I when I was really young and I was first getting into Green Day and I was first getting into... I guess what you would consider like skate punk or pop punk or whatever, like early pop punk, like Blink and and stuff like that. Uh, I was just too young. I just like didn't have the ability. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have like the resources. I just, you know, we were still living downstate and I just didn't know, like I was a horribly shy kid. I just didn't really have a ton of friends at school. And uh, those that I did, you know, we weren't, we weren't starting a band, you know, like none of us really had any talent. at least that we had accessed yet. Uh, but when we got, when we moved to Rochester, that's where I kind of started taking it a little bit more seriously. And, uh, you know, I, I had been trying to play guitar for a while, took lessons, never really stuck. That wasn't really something that I had like an active discipline towards until much later. Like I kind of only really started getting serious about learning how to play guitar in the last couple of years. Um, so I kind of knew when we when I was in Rochester and I was going to shows and I was getting involved in like the like the what you would consider like the DIY scene or whatever. Uh, that was kind of when I realized like I need to almost con my way into a band <laughs> because I was like at that time I still wanted to play guitar. I still like fancied myself a guitarist even though I could not play guitar. But I was like I just need to be in a band like that. All my problems will be solved if I'm just in a band. And I think Rory from like Death Camp and Declarations and all that, he kind of took pity on me a little bit. And because him and Joel from Fork Tongues uh, and Joel's old roommate at the time were planning to do like a, a noise rock kind of band and they needed a guitarist. And Rory was like, well, why don't we just let Alex try out? I'm pretty sure that's how it went. And, uh, you know, I show up at the space one day, their space, and they had their full stacks and this Joel's massive kit. And I rolled up with my like Black Star practice amp <laughs> like, <laughs> as as if that was going to do anything. And they were like so polite. They were like, hey, man, like that's not going to work. <laughs> like you need real gear. Uh, so basically, my entire in, yeah, so they kind of just let me in the band out of pity. And uh, I couldn't play for shit. Like I was completely outclassed by all of them in terms of their ability, but it was never really about anything other than just like having fun and playing shows. And that's kind of like what it should be. So uh, we played a bunch of shows and I remember with like the, we never actually like wrote any songs. We just kind of had this like 15 minute long piece that we would play. And the band was called Virgins. Uh, it started as a straight edge band. It was X versions X. Um, but I remember like being on stage and up until that point in my life, it was like, I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to be a guitarist in the band. Uh, 
and I would be on stage and we would be playing or we would be at the flying squirrel, we'd be on the floor or whatever. And I would look out and I would see Chris, the front man of Virgins, kind of like doing his thing. And I would be like jealous as fuck. I was like, man, like, I wish I was doing what he was doing. Like, actually, I don't want to play guitar. Like, this shit sucks. Like, I don't want to be stuck behind this thing. Like, I want to be out there like with the people. I want to be like, you know, mingling with the with the masses. Uh, and that's kind of when I realized, like, that's what I should be doing. I should be a front man. I should be applying uh, myself elsewhere. So after Virgins ended, that's where things kind of pivoted for me and and uh and yeah that's when i kind of decided i needed to start like singing quote unquote in bands now was that hard for you to kind of like rally the troops so to speak like to get people together to, to to have a band that would let you like sing for them or whatever you know what i mean since you hadn't like like been a vocalist for a band before uh no honestly like it was it was pretty easy because by that point uh you know, I had been going to shows for long enough. I, I was probably like 17, 18 at this time, maybe. Uh, so I had made like a bunch of friends and stuff like in, in Rochester and in, in Greece and in Webster and all that shit. So uh, I knew enough people that I could just like pester about practicing. And uh, eventually, you know, just basically uh as a result of me like more or less cold calling all of the friends that i had from the rochester music scene for about you know six to eight months uh tyler who currently plays in hallucination realized um he had been in the band called negative troach that uh virgins had played with before i think at our first show and it was him this dude tim and this dude connor and they were all like grease metal kids um and they were trying to do like a grindcore band pretty much and at that point in my life i was beginning like i never grew out of hardcore the way that a lot of people talk about like i still love hardcore i still love punk i still carry a lot of those like uh ethics that hardcore teaches you with the way that i carry myself on a daily basis but at that point in my life i was definitely like leaning starting to lean way more toward metal and uh I wanted to kind of like sing in a metal band. I thought it would be fun. And they were trying to do a grind band. They wanted to do something that was like Napalm Death, Excruciating Terror, stuff like that. And um, I, I said I was down to come try out and do vocals. And we had a couple practices in Tyler's mom's basement. And that was my next band that was Controlled by Fear. And we were a band for, man, I don't know, like a year. And that wasn't really that long, a year, year and a half, something like that. So it wasn't really that hard to find people to play music with. It was just like, I was just desperately trying to make the next thing happen as soon as possible, you know? Now you kind of started talking about something there. Like when I got into hardcore, uh, probably like 96, 97, like I, I, I kind of did it opposite. Like I was more into like the grind and power violence, like immediately. And that's the kind of shit like my friend Ben was really into. So he was kind of hipping me all these records and like excruciating terror was definitely a band that, that divided we fall record came out around that time so a lot of those bands i was into but what i'm getting at is like when did you kind of start to shift more towards that like like was it a slow progression or did you kind of just like start discovering all these bands or well so it, it was definitely a slow progression because i i have been trying like actively trying to understand metal forever like i i couldn't tell you how many times i tried to listen to 
like Cannibal Corpse or something like that, like just your classic death metal records. And I just didn't understand it. And not that there's like some grand thing that you need to understand about metal in order to appreciate it. Like it's not rocket science, but something about it like wasn't clicking for me. I just didn't get the appeal. Like hardcore had like the immediacy and it had the, 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 the visceral kind of passion to it. And metal just kind of seems so like comical and theatrical. And I just could never really, I never really got into it. I just wasn't into like the fantasy aspect of it. I, 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 like I said earlier, you know, like I grew up in a pretty like sheltered environment. So the, the perceived scariness, like the real scariness of hardcore was the thing that kind of like very naively got me interested in it in the first place that in the music, of course. So it was like, I didn't need a fantasy world to escape to. Like I, I wanted to kind of like feel like my life was a little bit more dangerous than it was rather than kind of like escaping into a, a false reality. Um, if any of that makes sense. So I had been like trying to get into metal forever. And it wasn't until I was probably like in the midst of virgins being a band in that year or so, uh, I started listening to black metal. I started listening to, to mayhem started listening to, uh, like the section, um, stuff like that. Started listening to <laughs> some, some other bands that probably shouldn't mention because, uh, they have some terrible associations with them, but, uh, you know, it's like you go on the internet and you search black metal and you get recommended like the same couple of things. But, uh, you know, I was trying to like, and that shit was cool because it was metal. It had that, it had that escapism to it. It had that, like all, all the theatrics that you would expect out of metal, but there were these crazy stories attached to it, you know, like the, with mayhem with their first record, it's like, uh, the front man is dead. Like they, like he killed himself. And then, their bandmate took a picture of his corpse at the fucking scene of the suicide and they put it on a live bootleg album as the cover. Like, and they, and all the members of this band, Oh, they wear uh, necklaces with pieces of his skull on it. Like, it, and the singer used to bury himself in the woods for uh, like the night before a show. So he could walk on stage and smell like a corpse. Like, you know, when you're a kid and when you're a, a fresh teenager and you're reading that stuff, like, like holy shit like is this real like these guys actually did this like this is crazy and they were like younger than me when they made these albums like the dudes in mayhem when they made uh like death crush they were like fucking 17 like it's crazy uh so that kind of bridged the gap for me you know because it was it, it, it was real it felt scary and i was trying to be shocked back then i was trying to be like surprised by metal so it was huge into black metal in a very like secretive private way for for a good number of years. And I still love black metal, but um, so when I met Tyler, when I met the guys that we eventually started controlled by fear with, they were grind and death metal guys through and through. So when I came to them and they asked me like what metal bands I liked, you know, I told them I was into mayhem. I was into like so-and-so and they were like, okay, well you got to check out excruciating terror. You got to check out blasphemy. You got to check out uh bloody Phoenix you know, uh, despise you infest. Like they just kind of gave me like the West coast power violence, West coast grindcore, and like weird Canadian war metal starter pack. Uh, and that shit was awesome to me. I loved it. And, uh, that was kind of like 
the kind of shit that I was really, really into for, for a good number of years there. Yeah, I'm super familiar with a lot of the West Coast stuff you mentioned. And, like, it's weird because, like, I still don't I, – I personally would say I don't really still get a lot of the bands, like the black metal bands. But what I will say is, like, I'm familiar with almost every single story you met, you were talking about with all those bands, like, just from knowing the lore that's attached to all those bands over the years because, like, everybody just, like, seems to know all these crazy things about all those bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but did – uh, so it's, it's kind of weird because I guess you kind of took like a 180 though. Like, when did you, like, were you still listening to like the, like Screamo, like Orchid, Jerome's Dream type stuff during all this? Cause obviously Drew's came a little bit later, right? Or No, that was a little bit later. So, I mean, like the, the thing about me is I definitely had like in, in my development as a music listener, I guess, so to speak, like I definitely have phases where I, I got like really passionate about one specific subset of metal or hardcore or whatever, but all the while, like I'm on the internet looking up bands, I'm on Blogspot, I'm on uh, like forums and stuff, just like talking to people about music, trying to like consume as much music as I possibly can. You know, I'm just like a fan of music. I'm a fan of bands. I like just listening to as much new music as possible. So I'm always trying to get my get exposed to new stuff i'm always trying to broaden my horizons but back then like in the control by fear days like i had i had no idea what screamo was you know i i had no idea about uh like orchid jerome stream like you said joshua fit for battle all those bands like i had heard people talk about them i kind of like i knew that they existed but it, it it wasn't really anything i was trying to look into too much you know it was like <clears throat> when i'm 18 19 years old and I'm in this grind band. Uh, I'm trying to listen to Infest. I'm trying to listen to Crossed Out. I'm trying to listen to my black metal bands. And that's about it. I'm pretty much like satisfied there. And I want to like discover new bands, but I'm not really trying to like get to, to delve into new scenes at that point. I wanted to just like learn as much as possible about the shit that I was already into while still like developing this uh, backlog of shit that I would eventually get into, you know? <laughs> And you touched on something there that hasn't really ever been talked about, I feel like, on this podcast at all. I, I'm Greg, you can probably touch on this in a second, too. But there was that kind of like <coughs> Wild West era of like downloading stuff with like Media Fire. And there was like a couple, I can't remember any names of them, but there was a couple really good blog, blog spots back then that had like every single like Media Fire zip on it. And you yes. like, like you could get into any, any hardcore scream or whatever you wanted to, like within a day, basically, and download like literally like 600 albums. Like I filled up my iPod and like, like a couple of weeks you know yeah, stuck in the past is one that i think was one that i was like really into um because it would like have like demos from bands from like des moines that never left that city for even a single show but you know put out like some great songs or something um yeah i kind of miss that because now everything's like all the streaming platforms which i guess is like better for like current bands but i like all the like archive of all the like lost stuff i still to to this day have like a massive itunes uh collection from all those blogspot blogs and like uh like there was like what was that other upload site like mega upload and stuff yep. um just because i'm like these are going to get taken down and then they'll be fucking gone forever yeah i i have so much nostalgia for that stuff dude like the like that was my whole era that was my wheelhouse of like getting into music was 
especially like obscure music was through blogspot through media fire zippy share all that stuff mega upload um and i used to spend so many afternoons like i would go home from school i would do whatever responsibilities i had to take care of and then i would just get on my computer get on my parents computer or whatever and i would just go on blogspot all day long and i would just download as much music as i could and that sense of discovery, like that sense that you kind of just like unearth this thing that nobody in your immediate circle was really aware of. Like I, I lived and died by that forever. Like just you go on a blog spot and you find a, like Sophie's floorboard was a big one for me. Uh, they had a lot of like emo stuff, a lot of power violence stuff, a lot of screamo stuff and sort of in between controlled by fear and Drew starting up. I spent a lot of time on that website and I used to, you know, you would find like a love lost but not forgotten 10 inch that this person had like ripped directly from the LP and uploaded as MP3s. And like you kind of felt like you were listening to something that nobody else had ever really heard before. And I love that. I love that feeling. But nowadays it's kind of like everybody has immediate and instantaneous access to everything. Uh, not to sound too much like old man yells at cloud here, but it, it kind of like spoils the experience of being a, a passionate like music fan in a lot of ways because you kind of you're you're very much like handed everything on a silver platter but also removed from a lot of its context and the context is really important so you see kids these days talking about like uh i, I don't know man i might just be talking out of my ass here but it's like uh screamo bands like i hate myself right from florida and everybody's like uh oh yeah this was a a crucial uh screamo band like the, the one of the most like seminal timeless screamo bands of all time and it's like bro when this band was around nobody outside of gainesville florida knew they existed and like that context is super important because it it paints the the perspective of what regional scenes were like it paints the perspective of like how hard it was for bands to get their music out there. It, it, it shows like how these bands ended up sounding the way that they did because they were only ever playing with each other. And then they would go on tour and play with like-minded bands and come home and sound a little bit different. Like all that stuff is so important to understanding like uh, why bands are the way that they are. And when you don't have to go out and find that information for yourself anymore, and you don't have to piece that together and you just get like, some Spotify algorithms spoon feeding you like uh, whatever it thinks you're going to enjoy next. Like you're just totally removed from the process of becoming a fan of something in a, in a meaningful and lasting way. And that shit, that shit really bothers me. I think about that all the time. Yeah. It's funny. That reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, Rory, uh, Rory Van Grohl from Achilles and, you know, numerous other bands that, um, uh, you know, we were talking about how, in the past you'd have like cities develop a sound like a like there'd be like a subset of hardcore or punk or whatever you know extreme music you like and that city had you know like all the bands from that city had like kind of a thread that ran through them that was similar in in in, in style or execution um and that seems like it's like kind of getting lost with like spotify and all the streaming services and i think you touched upon it like perfectly with uh you know talking about how there was um you know, like uh, the, the screamo band from Gainesville that like never, never broke out of Gainesville back in the day or whatever. 
Um, it seems like you don't get that quite as much when you have the algorithm serving you up, you know, the next the next band you want to hear, which, you know, it's fine on some level because I know about so many freaking bands now that, you know, I would I would probably only known about 10% of these bands if, if we hadn't developed, uh, you know, the internet the way that it was. But yeah, you do lose that. You do kind of lose that, uh, that like local flavor to it. Yeah, and even with the with the blogspot stuff and with the like file sharing scene, like at least there was a person at the other end of it. You know, I think that, yeah. that human that human aspect to it is super important. And yeah, like you could get granular about it, and you could say that oh well, you know, there's people at Spotify and Apple Music and whatever entitled that are uh, hired to assemble these algorithms and hired to uh, curate these playlists and blah blah blah. And it's like yeah, that's true. But you don't have it on that more intimate scale where there's a person saying like like curating a blog and curating a file sharing uh, network where they know that the people on the other end are into a specific thing because they've interacted with them. They've read the comments on their blog. They've read like the feedback they've been given. And that stuff is great. You know, if, if somebody is into uh, trying to think of a good example, like uh in the hardcore world of things right if i know that a kid is really getting into like rites of spring and embrace i'm not going to turn around and recommend them hate breed you know uh i'm going to say you should check out fugazi and you should check out one last wish because those are related bands and there's kind of the evolution of that sound and you're going to really enjoy that i think but if you're just plugging in keywords into an algorithm and you're saying like okay, this person likes hardcore, emotive music, guitar music, distortion, then you're going to have a playlist that's totally uh, out of sync with who that person is on like a, a, a human level. And that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. <laughs> yeah, that, I think the way I experience that is like, you know, the streaming services are great and everything. I'm not talking shit, um, but like, of course. Give me the give me the give me the liner notes. Give me the artwork. Like I need to look at the thank you list in the demo cassette because that's where I'm going to find like all the next bands I check out and like you totally miss all that. I mean granted too you like miss the lyrics uh, which were like an important component for hardcore and punk for me, but more importantly in some ways for like discovering new music was that like thank you list. I can't tell you how many bands I would like send away for a cassette or a 7-inch just because they were thanked in some other band I likes, you know, demo cassette. Yeah. Oh, and that, and then another thing would be wearing the t-shirts. We would, we would look at the shirt and be like, Oh, that, that looks like a cool band. But, but now with all of these bands that you're into, Alex, I can't read half the fucking band's t-shirts. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck they are half the time. Well, the, the, the thing that I kind of like the way that I cope with it, and uh, this is kind of like my explanation to people that can't read band logos because why could you? They're completely intelligible, unintelligible. Um, it's it's less about being able to read them and it's more about like pattern recognition. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like a, a band like Blood Incantation, they're like a, a new death metal band. Uh, their logo is completely inscrutable. Like I, I don't know how you look at it and you see the words Blood Incantation. Like you can maybe make out a B and an L, but that's it. It's more about just like you see the logo enough times that eventually you start to recognize it. And I, I definitely feel the same way with our logo. Like the Undeath logo is, is fucking ludicrous. And uh, people always like uh, tell me that they can't read it. And they like they 
thought that they saw us on a flyer, but they couldn't tell if it was us or not because they didn't know what it said. And it's just kind of like you have to just recognize the shapes. You know? <laughs> I've been saying for a while that somebody needs to make like an app where you can scan like a QR code style and you can scan the app <laughs> and it'll tell you what it says. So in case you can't read it, you can at least find the band on like Spotify and shit afterwards or whatever. You got to um, make this episode private now because that's a billion dollar idea. I've, I think I've floated it on here before. I've definitely posted it. I post a lot of stupid shit in like my stories and shit, but I feel like I posted it in there before. Or no, I might have said it in like somebody posted like a flyer somewhere one time and I was like, yo, where, and then I suggested it there. Um, but kind of off topic, but not really um, talking about like love for Rochester. And I know we'll talk about you like like writing stuff later on, too. I never put the connection together. This was even you until recently, but I know years ago you wrote some shit for like vice.com about the Rochester scene. Like how did yeah. all that come about? And did you do like anything else like that at all? <clears throat> so, um, that I published that when I was in college. Um, and basically I, I went to school for journalism. Um, and that wasn't out of like any desire to be a journalist. I, I just like, wanted to study creative writing but i also wanted to kind of stay closer to home and uh rit was the only school in the area that i got into and the closest thing they had to uh, a creative writing program was a journalism program so i said fuck it i'll do that whatever um which is a very responsible way to handle tens of thousands of dollars but uh whatever the, the past is the past uh, so I was writing for the student magazine, which was called Reporter, and I was kind of like getting into the idea of freelancing a little bit. That was it was starting to become very romantic to me. The idea of just like pitching articles to places and getting them published and working on a bunch of different stuff simultaneously. And I realized that in that time, it was a fairly obvious realization, but, you know, Growing up reading stuff like, like I mentioned earlier, the American Hardcore book, reading like uh, all these books and articles and seeing all these movies about like the D.C. scene, the Boston scene, the Lower East Side scene, the L.A. scene, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, all well worth documenting, of course, but there was nothing about upstate New York bands. There was nothing about Western New York bands. And, you know, it, you're talking about a scene, you know, broadly speaking, that birthed earth crisis that was like you know the birth buried alive that uh you know was if there was no western new york hardcore scene there's there's no terror you know like uh all these important threads in modern hardcore history you can easily without like making any big extrapolations or jumps in logic draw like on a, a very straight line back to this area and uh, i just thought it was it, it should be documented and the kind of shit that that kids were doing at the time, like the bands that that were exciting to me, should be talked about. Not to say that I was like any kind of scholar or historian for putting this little article together, but I just I felt like I wanted to do right by the the people that were doing cool shit at the time. Um, so I I at at that moment in time, Vice was pretty popular. They had a a music website called noisy and i knew uh an editor that i didn't know personally but i knew of an editor that worked for noisy and wrote a lot of stuff there and was pretty like prominent on like uh the metal and hardcore internet space at the time um 
So I just shot them an email one day, found their email, and I said, hey, you know, I, I want to write this piece about 10 bands from Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, Ithaca that I think are really cool and doing cool stuff. And uh, they said they were down, and I wrote the article, and I submitted it, and uh, thankfully people didn't run me out of town for it, and thankfully people responded pretty positively to it. I never got paid, uh, which sucked, but uh, you know, I like I would like that $300 that I was promised at some point. <laughs> Hopefully uh, that check is just lost in the mail or something. But uh, yeah, that was cool. That was a fun experience. I, I enjoyed doing that. I mean, that was an era where I was kind of checking in and out for a couple of years there. So it was cool for me to be able to like, because I would occasionally like either look up on YouTube or Google like Rochester Hardcore just to see, just to see what was like going on or whatever. Because this was like slightly before Instagram, I feel like was when you did that, like maybe like 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, did you ever have, like, I, did you ever like, think about like that 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 is something you want to do though like like covering like like extreme music as like a writer or anything or like i know we'll get to like metal injection later on obviously too but like did you ever like in between like think that was something that you'd want to do like as more of like a career like just doing like the music side of it sure i mean i you know it's like i've always in my mind maintained that the thing that i wanted to like make a career out of was music and I didn't really know how I was going to make that work. And to this day, it's like, I'm not really 100% sure how I am currently making it work. But it's like, uh, I, it, besides that, the only other thing that I ever really felt like passionate about in any any uh, significant way from like a creative standpoint was writing. You know, I've been writing little stories and stuff ever since I was a kid. <clears throat> I've been uh, like an avid reader my whole life. I still am. Uh and I just I loved writing and I always admired writers and then I especially always admired like writers who could write about music in a way that I thought was thoughtful and intelligent. And uh, I, I would always kind of hope that that would be something that I could do myself someday. And, um, you know, I never really had like serious ambitions, though, like about being a, a music journalist or anything like that. Uh, I kind of just like was content writing when I when I felt like it, you know, and and writing when things kind of sparked enough of an interest and a passion in me that I thought that I wanted to write about them. I didn't want to just like I never wanted to write for the sake of writing, which is still very much how I feel. So, yeah, it's it's definitely like something that I'm super into, but I try not to to overthink it. The Hardcore Archive podcast is Josh Lyons and Greg Benoit with creative support from Rob Antonucci. This podcast is a product of the Rochester Hardcore community. Theme song provided by Stand Fast. Visit Hardcore Archive podcast on Linktree to listen to past episodes. Follow Hardcore Archive podcast and Enterprise Hardcore podcast on Instagram for updates. If you have an idea for an episode or would like to have your band's music featured during the closing credits, please contact us at hardcorearchivepodcast at gmail.com.